RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. All right, it's time to cross over to the United States and welcome back Adam Crichton, who is the Washington correspondent for The Australian. Adam, good to have you back. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, and plenty to talk about. Let's start with this one because it's blowing up, it seems to me, the heads of the social justice warriors and the left, and that is the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. And uh, that seems to gut, as CNN has put it, um, uh, affirmative action, making it unlawful for colleges to take race into consideration as a specific factor in admissions. Did this come out of left field? Was this expected? It's obviously um, surprised a lot of people. Yes, look, it was expected, and it was a 6-3 decision, so that's that's a pretty large a majority on the Supreme Court. There are a spate of rulings last week. The court tends to uh, tends to issue a lot of rulings at the end of the, the end of June. That's just the way they do it, and this was probably the main one, I'd say, the biggest one that got the most attention uh, because, as you know, race relations in the U.S. are an obsession, and so anything about them attracts a lot of attention. Most of the media analysis and reporting was very negative on the decision, but I mean, I was very positive about it. I think the court made, you know, a very sensible ruling that was in accordance with both U.S. law and the Constitution. That you know, a race-based uh, selection uh, violates uh, the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which says that race should not be a factor in how people are treated under the law. It's very clear about that. And the Civil Rights Act itself, in 1964, uh, specifically says that there can't be any race-based selection by institutions that receive funding for the government. And public universities and private universities uh, receive uh, funding from the US government in varying degrees, of course. Uh, So it seemed to me pretty plain, like like that's just the legal argument, but the philosophical arguments are even stronger, I think. And in previous judgments, uh, well, there've been only two in the Supreme Court where they've looked at this issue, 1978 and 2003. And both times they very reluctantly accepted that race could be a factor in selection. The more recent uh, decision in, in 2003 said explicitly that it should be, you know, it should be gone in 20 or so years. That was a direct quote. Well, it's been 20, it's been 20 years uh, and it shows no sign of going away. I mean, it's an industry, you know, kind of affirmative action, diversity, all that sort of stuff. And so I think the court made the right decision to strike it down. Uh, but it has big ramifications beyond universities. I mean, you'll probably see cases now uh, taken against big US companies who use race in their hiring practices. I imagine that will be next. The judgment made no mention of, of those, but, but we can be sure that there'll be other, there'll be other cases. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, you know, it was a big news week last week. Yeah, what was the reaction of the Biden administration, and has there been comment from the 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 judges, the dissenting judges? Well, the dissenting judges were furious, and I think one of the you know they uh, the judges, the Supreme Court judges, rarely read out parts of their judgment from the bench when they release them. But for that case, they did. Well, at least uh, Clarence Thomas did. He's a very conservative justice, black conservative justice. Uh, and uh, Justice uh, Sotomayor, uh, she is. A, a, so-called progressive justice, and she read hers out too, her dissent. And, you know, they were, the language in the judgments was was pretty aggressively attacking the other side. Uh, and I think that just goes to just how much of a profound philosophical difference 
this question is, you know, as to whether people should be judged as individuals or judged as members of a race or members of a sexual, uh, male or female, or their sexuality should define them. I mean, that's the broader issue and that's the philosophical disagreement and it's pretty fundamental and it reflects, uh, and sorry, you asked about the Biden administration. Well, they, you know, they the president criticised the court after the decision, which, you know, I think is bad. I mean, it's uh, it's a very important institution, the Supreme Court in the US, and if you start, if the president starts undermining it, of all people, uh, you know, criticising it, he said it wasn't a normal court. Um, and other Democrats said far worse things than that. <laughs> uh, and I guess, you know, of course they're entitled to their opinion, but they have to be very careful about undermining that 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 crucial institution, which uh, is a third branch of government. And and it and it uh, you know it does secure Americans' rights against overweening government. And uh, you know, we saw just a slightly change of topic just a few days ago, we saw in Louisiana a federal court judge, you know, struck down <clears throat> Uh, communication between the government and social media giants, uh, basically saying that they had for years been pressuring them to take down um, uh, posts that they disagreed with about COVID and that that was against the Constitution. So that was a big decision, but, you know, pretty extraordinary, isn't it, that one judge in in Louisiana can you know, basically force the entire machinery of the US government to change its ways. That's that's pretty special. And, um, and that's a good thing, isn't it? Because... Uh... Yes, yes, it is, yes. We don't want censorship <laughs> um, yeah. necessarily. Um, yes, yes, that was the question. Yeah. Do you think um, this, okay, well, that that you've just mentioned and the Supreme Court decision that we're talking about, do you think that signals kind of a change in direction that could be coming of sort of rejecting the sort of, I, I guess, wokeness is what it is in the end? Um, yes. And is it reflected by the majority of, of what Americans are thinking? Does it go with their thinking? Well, certainly, this uh, the affirmative action uh, judgment was popular. I think most most surveys show you know sixty seventy percent of Americans, including the majority of Democrats, uh, supported the Supreme Court's decision. And of course, it's important to point out the Supreme Court's not meant to make rulings based on popularity. And you know, this is a contrast with the uh, the abortion decision uh, last year, which well, earlier this year, I've got lose track now, but that was ex that was unpopular um, by and large. So. This one was popular, uh, but on your broader point of whether this signals a change in direction, I would like it to. You know, my personal preference is I hope so, but 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 I don't think it will uh, because I think when you've got you know basically the Democratic Party, some of the Republican Party, to be fair, pretty much all the universities and their students and journalists in disagreement. Uh, that's a very powerful array of forces. And I think in the long run, the ruling won't stand a chance. Uh, you know, the competition okay. of the court will change and there'll be there'll be a reversion. I mean, I think, you know, we're living in an era intellectually in the US where, you know, very sadly to my view, I want to stress that because, you know, I'm a minority on this, uh, especially amongst my journalist colleagues. But, you know, there is huge change in uh respect for free speech and you know there's there's less respect for the founding ideals of the US about about individual liberty uh and there's much more of a push to see people as members of groups warring groups competing groups and i mean i think it's very destructive of social cohesion and i think certainly the statistics would would point to that but nevertheless a lot of rich and influential people they hold these views and uh and i think their fury at the decision <clears throat> just uh you know points to a to a future where it's reversed
Aren't they rich and successful because they had the platform to become that way and they now they well, want to change it? Well, look, that's that's probably true. Uh, but sadly, the zeitgeist is, uh, you know, it's the same in Australia, which obviously you don't know, watch Australian news and, and uh, you know, this voice proposal, uh, you know, that's got the support pretty much of all the corporate world and all of the worthies in public life, even though I think I expect it will probably lose in the referendum. Uh, but if there was a referendum amongst the, there was a referendum amongst the most powerful people in Australia, it would it would certainly win. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got you got to ask what what's in it for them. What, why why is that particular you know layer of elite, let's call them, really supportive of all this? When it, there seems to be a disconnect with the average person. Um, well, you sort of yes, wonder yeah, how we got to this true. point. Look, I mean, that's a, that's probably a whole other podcast, and it's a deep question. Um, I think leftist activist groups are far, far angrier uh, than their equivalent on the right and more vicious in their political attacks. So I think even people who privately don't go along with these sorts of ideas will go along with them in public because they know if they don't, They'll be denounced as racist, sexist, and you know, homophobic, and all this sort of stuff, and that can be very, very damaging in the age of the internet. When even one person saying one bad thing about someone else is permanent, whereas you know, twenty years ago, it'd just be you know lost in the rubbish tip <laughs> with the newspapers. Yeah, or wrapped fish no and chips, fish yeah, and chips wrapped up in it. Yeah, but that's no longer the case. So I think that's that's one question so that's that's one explanation it's certainly not the only one but i think it's a it's a powerful one uh but look at you know through histories elites go through all sorts of phases of belief and sometimes believe crazy horrible things and i think i think this is one of those periods maybe they should remember that when when it's pushed too far it, it doesn't turn out too well yes. for them yeah well of course we've seen with the whole this is you know changing over to the Bud Light disaster, uh, you know, that was a very expensive Instagram post of that company because with uh, with uh, Dylan Mulvaney, who's this trans activist or whatever, um, and, you know, sales have plummeted. Companies lost, you know, hundreds of millions at least in share market value. It's been a complete disaster. So, yeah, sometimes there is pushback. And I think that was a, you know, that, that Bud Light example would have been a bit of a wake-up call for some big corporations. Uh, well, well, mainly their leadership, who ultimately have all their pay and stocks tied to, to financial performance. So uh, they might be more wary going forward. Yeah, it seems that um, these big corporations like to spend a lot of time thinking about what happens in, in the bedroom. Yes, that's right. It's, I, I don't know it's, what their fascination is all about. It's completely bizarre, I think, the corporate obsession with these issues, especially when it is so alienating. But, but like I say, amongst the... The elites, it's it's. I mean, everyone believes it's just like a religion almost. So, oh dear. Uh, so yeah, it, you, you know, this kind of reflects the growing inequality in society. I mean, uh, you know, in the US, I I looked up a, a stat yesterday, which, I mean, I kind of broadly knew it already, but it just always horrifies me that the bottom fifty percent of households in the US own three percent of the nation's wealth. Yeah, and and the top one percent own forty. <laughs> I mean, just. That's wild. That's, work, that's you know? working out that's really well. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's, probably, that's pretty wild. And it's probably close to being similar, probably not that extreme, but in, in your country and our yes. country as well. Yeah. 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 Look, Australia and New Zealand aren't as bad, but they are trending that way. Um, yeah. And that's that's a whole other podcast again as to why. But I think that 
you know, the point I'm trying to make is just the stark uh, variation in in life experiences of of ordinary Americans and the and the elite in terms of what they can afford and that sort of thing. And it's interesting that I think it's Clarence Thomas, isn't it? The the judge that we're yes. talking about before. Yes. He's African American. He's been there a long time, and I think he was controversial when he was. Um, um, you know, approved yeah, was, whatever, yeah. back back yeah. in the day, and here he is, actually the conservative one on this. It's it's interesting. It is very interesting, and actually, yeah, the fact that the two black justices uh, are both at polar ends of the ideological spectrum on the court. Uh, Katenji Brown Jackson is the latest justice appointed last year. Uh, she obviously dissented in the affirmative action case, and uh, and but you know, this this I mean, to me, you know, that's. That's diversity. You know, they're both black, but they both have totally different views on the on the world. And yet, in a affirmative action, you know, simplistic affirmative action style world, they're both in the same group. <laughs> you know, when they're actually very different people. Yeah, one will be accused of being racist, and the other won't be. I'm picking. Yes, yes, that's right. Even though they're exactly. both African American. Okay, exactly. so let's shift gears. Uh, I mentioned Biden before, and um, uh, around the time we're talking now. Um, I've seen video of him in his latest gaffe with a teleprompter gone wrong. Obviously, he, he's just completely at sea, ad-libbing. He's having trouble finding his way when he gets off Air Force One. That's nothing new. And uh, we'll get on to cocaine in the White House. But surely his days have got to be – he's not going to make his turn. Well, I think so. I, I kind of kind of dipped my toe in the waters of, of forecasting last week or the week before, which you know, is a difficult business, forecasting. And I said in a column in The Australian that, I uh, don't think he'll be the candidate. I just, I just can't see it. I mean, I know he said he will, and that's that's the official position of the Democrat Party that he will be. But you know, the main reason I think is just his, you know, his apparent decline. I mean, I, I say apparent because maybe he's just clumsy. But I mean, oh come on, man. I mean, I'm being generous. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm being generous because it is extraordinary the number of fumbles and gaffes and humiliating. But he can't even get words out, Adam. He has trouble forming words, and that, that's well, a real and, tell. And, and he won't be able to uh, debate. I mean, even if he is the candidate, you know, he won't be able to face off against the Republican candidate, whoever that is, because, as you say, he can't speak coherently. And it, and it, could, be, it could be a complete disaster for the Democrats. I mean, he could lose the election basically on the debate night if it's really bad. And they would be very worried about that. I mean, and that's that's quite understandable because it could be a complete train wreck. Um, oh, it would be very entertaining to watch. I mean, that, that well, be- certainly, certainly, I know. Um, and that's obviously, you know, why the you know, the Democrat Party obviously doesn't want any, any primary debates either, and they're they're hysterical in their denunciation of, um, of Robert F. Kennedy, who, you know, whatever you think of his views, is extremely eloquent and educated, and uh, and would completely destroy a Biden in a debate for all to see. So there won't be that debate. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think that's the main reason, the decline. I think the other two reasons why he won't be the candidate, uh, uh, the Kamala Harris issue, is because uh, Republicans are going to say, and yeah, quite rightly, that if Biden wins the presidency, he may die in a year or two of old age or three, and then you get Kamala. And that's not a problem. Who is very unpopular. Well, yeah, she didn't she pull Biden. out of the the primaries um, uh, originally because she had one percent support. One percent. <laughs> Look, I can't 1%. remember, but she wasn't popular, and she did pull out early. You're right, um, but she's uh, you know she's a spring chicken at fifty eight, I think, or fifty six. Um, 
And, you know, that's a, like I wrote a piece a few months ago, just, you know, a slightly cheeky one where I looked at the actuarial tables in the US for, you know, when people die statistically. And, um, and someone of Biden's age, uh, and this is just for the average person, uh, but there was, I think, a 31% chance that, that he will die before the end of the next term. So that's pretty high. Um, and that would mean, you know, President Harris, who, who would, you know, a, a state of affairs that, that would horrify a lot of... Can you imagine people. the US being run by that woman? Yeah, well, it would be quite extraordinary, I must say. It would be something... Um, so anyway, that's the second reason. And the third reason, I think, is all these revelations from whistleblowers and Hunter Biden's laptop and all this that do point to, and, you know, this is not necessarily illegal, but, but you know, you might argue it's immoral or, or unpatriotic, but the selling of influence to foreign businesses and governments and for payments of millions of dollars. And, uh, and you know, the latest revelation last week was this WhatsApp message from Hunter to some Chinese businessman where Hunter says that he's sitting next to his father. And, you know, whether or not his father was actually sitting there when it was sent, I mean, it, it does suggest that that the family have been selling influence at the very least. And Biden has said repeatedly that he has that he knows nothing about Hunter's businesses, which I think, you know, more and more people find very hard to believe. But he probably doesn't because he can't remember anything. Well, <laughs> that's probably right. Yeah, that's probably right. And and so you know, those three things combine, and I just think that, you know, he's a bad candidate. And I I think this you know this idea that 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 oh he'll just beat Trump again. I think that's that's pretty naive. I I mean, look, I'm not saying it's likely that Trump will win, but to write it off as an impossibility is 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 pretty stupid. I think. Get on to Trump in, in just a moment, but um, can Biden even make the end of this term? Because if he doesn't, then we do see President Kamala Harris. Or do you think they would sort of force? No, I, think, I think I think he'll. I mean, he won't. He won't resign this term because then she would become president. You're right, and then I think she'd almost certainly lose the election. So it'd be a very brief, um, you know, brief administration. Uh, but you know, she would be able to say she was the first female president, which would be something. Um, so look, I think what will happen is maybe towards the end of this year, early next year, you know, he'll say that, look, I'm going to bow out after this, after this term. Um, and that would open the field up obviously to lots of Democrats to come in and, you know, there'd probably be a huge number would, I imagine, because a lot of them would be chomping at the bit. Um, and then there'll be the, you know, the process will start. I mean, you know, it may be that they have to reschedule primaries and things, but I mean, who cares? That doesn't really matter in the big scheme of things. They can do that. Uh, so that's what. So that's what I think will happen. Uh, yeah. Okay. And quickly on to Hunter, um, two oh. things, um, and that is that um, he got that sweetheart deal um, after the IRS whistleblower yeah. claims. So that's one thing, and also um, cocaine apparently found in the White <laughs> House. Well, it. <laughs> I don't think Joe's snorting it, is he? But we know no, no, we like, know who does. You know, some people were joking on some people were joking on Twitter that you know it could have helped Joe. <laughs> yeah, his cognitive. Before, the problems we mentioned before. But Sharpen them up. Um, yeah, I, and, uh, I mean, obviously, it's probably Hunter if it's anyone. Well, look, I mean, you know, we don't know, but I mean, the well, he, there's three of them smoking been, crack. You know, I mean, it's well, look, the one. <laughs> The White House has been with pushing prostitutes. The, found in the library, uh, which is where visitors um, travel through. Um, and so I guess the argument is, the implication is that someone dropped it or threw it into a corner or something, which is kind of hard to believe that someone would do that if they had a bag of coke. But um, 
And but it's just emerged today. I think that no, it's been found in some sort of, you know, uh, um, a cupboard of some sort. Which I mean, to me at least, it suggests that it couldn't have been a visitor. I mean, it must be someone else. Or and and you know, they do these routine checks all the time. So it must have only just got there. It's not like it's been there years. Um, so look, I don't think we're going to find. Out. <laughs> I think the administration will make sure we don't find out because. You know, if it was Hunter, it would be shockingly embarrassing. But but frankly, the damage is done already because, you know, most people, I, mean, I don't know if it's most, I haven't seen surveys, but a lot of people would think it was. And I think it, you know, it reflects poorly on the White House and the family. So it's not a, you know, it's certainly not a win. Well, it's just par for the course, really. It's just a continuum more than anything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I mean, Hunter's you know, behaviour really is shocking. And it's, uh, well, you know, I'm sure it's much better now, but. You know, the other interesting thing just about Hunter is after all, all that whistleblower stuff came out recently that, uh, you know, to some extent implicated the president. Um, he was invited to the White House for the state dinner with the Indian Prime Minister and then Camp David with Dad just over the weekend. And so it seems to me that suddenly the family is trying to keep him really close. And you might infer from that is that they, they don't want him going rogue. <laughs> you know, so they're being very nice to him. Well, I, I when I see pictures and footage of Hunter, um, to me, he doesn't look very bright. That's true. I would have the same view. I know. I, he looks a know, bit simple. He doesn't look very bright. He does look, uh, you know, but he's a good artist, obviously. He's a very talented artist, as you know. <laughs> yeah, great finger paintings. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, and that's a great artwork way to launder the money. Great mm. way to launder the money. That's right. It? No, his artwork fetches hundreds of thousands of dollars. And actually, just curious stories broken over the past couple of days about one of these illegitimate children um, who's, I don't know, six or seven, I can't remember her name, but the family refuses to recognise her as a, as a grandchild. Um, is that, is that the, to the stripper? Yes, I think or, she's a stripper or dancer yeah, or something I not surprised? like that. But, but anyway, yeah, um, the mother, I think, wants the daughter to have the surname Biden, which, you know, I, mean, I don't know what the law is around that sort of thing, but she wants that. And I guess fair enough. <laughs> I mean, she well, is. Yeah, I totally. yeah, I mean, she is. But the White House has told... I don't know, uh, there's some statement that the president has six grandchildren and not seven, um, which, which again, I think is a bit of an, un, bit of an unforced error. I mean, I, you know, I think most Americans would say, well, hang on, no, you have seven. <laughs> you, know, you have, I mean, biologically, you have seven grandchildren. Yeah, but it so, seems that you can say stuff like that and it really doesn't matter anymore. You sort of get away with it. Well, certainly, you know, this White House does because, you know, the, most of the press is incredibly partisan towards the Democrats, uh, which is very sad to watch as a, you know, I guess as a foreign journalist working here, it's pretty extraordinary, actually. I mean, just imagine if they found, you know, a Coke in the Trump White, you know, the Trump White House. And, oh, they'd it, probably be the SWAT, Trump SWAT, immediately. The SWAT team <laughs> would be Trump turning immediately. up. Yeah, it's the SWAT just, team. Uh, well, actually, just on the cocaine story briefly, uh, you know, this happened Sunday, Sunday night it was discovered. And some independent journalists on Twitter were tweeting about the fact that the White House had been evacuated, which is a pretty big deal. That doesn't happen every week. Um, and there were pictures of you know, fire trucks and emergency services vehicles. And there was, I think a few hours later, some, um, some talented journalists had found where you can listen to the uh, radio calls of emergency services. Um, okay. Yeah. And listen to it and, and then worked out based on the timing that, the statement about that some cocaine had been found was related to the White House. And it took Monday, not a single article from any mainstream journalist, nothing. I mean, they all would have, well, 
a lot of them would have known about this. Nothing. Tuesday, nothing. Um, no, so Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday, the first article emerged in the morning, very small one in the Washington Post, just saying, basically confirming that, that it was cocaine. Uh, you know, 400-word article, not very important. <laughs> yeah, but, but then as soon as I saw that, then I knew I could write it because it had been confirmed. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was just interesting to see. And, and I mean, even now, it's, it's basically not talked about on, you know, CNN, MSNBC. It's, you know, it's almost like it didn't happen. I just don't know how you could um, ignore that like that, but uh, this is the world we live in, I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Um, okay, just quickly on to Trump before we get on to Ukraine. Sure. And um, I see Newsmax are reporting as I'm looking, um, as we're chatting now, looking at stories that, he is the most electable Republican, though lawfare is being waged against him, and there is a possibility that he could be incarcerated from what I'm reading. Looks yeah. like DeSantis is sort of trailing off into the background. This is turning into an epic, an epic situation, yes. isn't it? I mean, what are people saying about this? Well, you know, the first point to make about all this is, is you know, back in November when Trump announced his campaign, he was roundly mocked by um you know, pretty much all the mainstream press. And I must admit, I, you know, I said myself, I didn't, I didn't mock him. That's not my style, but I did think that he wouldn't, that he wouldn't go very well. And uh, gosh, everyone's been so wrong. I mean, his, his approval rating, you know, not just the Newsmax survey, pretty much every survey that comes out and including by Democrat pollsters show that Trump is 55, uh, sometimes 60% of uh, Republican support. Uh, and DeSantis is about 22. I think I saw one today. He's, about 22. It hasn't changed that much. It, in fact, his support has been falling slightly. Uh, and since the most recent indictment, the uh, documents indictment uh, came out, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, Trump's support's gone up even further, which you know, kind of defies what you'd expect. Um, and, you know, it goes to, you know, kind of back to what we were discussing earlier, just this extraordinary disconnect between what the elites think and expect will happen and then, and then, what, and then what ordinary people think and expect, um, because they clearly don't find the allegations against him that serious or they think that they're well you know they might think they're made up i don't know but they obviously don't think they're very serious um <clears throat> so look i've raised with what happens i mean you know you'd have to say he's going to be the candidate and uh you know who knows what happens next year i mean you know you could be in this crazy situation where you know he's in He's campaigning in prison or something like that. That would be and incredible, that, wouldn't it? That would be just well. I mean, there's nothing, yeah, and there's nothing, yeah, and there's nothing that stops the uh, president of being in prison, actually, constitutionally. So he could be in prison, and then when he becomes president, of course, he could just he could just pardon himself. Yeah, of course. Um, at least I, I assume that's how it would work. But that would be kind of wild. It'd be like something that you think wouldn't even happen in a novel. <laughs> so I mean, I'm sure it's not going to happen. But uh, you know, it's it's going to be wild times. You know, I think I think a lot of protests, a lot of anger. Um, I mean, you know, Trump did bring a lot of this on himself with the document stuff, I must say. But uh, um, yeah, but Joe had had the stuff in the garage next yeah, to the, he had the stuff too. I mean, so Hunter know, could go in and get have access. So you know, you know, and also he's been charged under this Espionage Act from 1917, which is a which is a horrible act, which is totally contrary to the U.S. Constitution and. You know, liberals for decades had argued that it shouldn't exist. I mean, I don't think it should exist. It's basically purely used as a political weapon. That's like that's its history. Yeah. Whether it's Julian Assange or, or, or whether it's other whistleblowers, 
you know, it's called the Espionage Act. It's never, ever been used about espionage. It's just used to attack people who you don't like by the government, basically. Um, it's vaguely written. Um, and this is what Trump is, is being accused under. Um, you know, sure, he had these documents, shouldn't have had them. But, I mean, I think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup. I think there's a lot of pearl clutching about, oh, the danger, etc. There's no danger. It's just ridiculous. It's just, you know, people feigning horror at, at something that they know is really pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least that's yeah. my view. Uh, I saw um, uh, Elon Musk say a while back that usually the uh, the outcome is always the most entertaining one. Yes, I, know, I, know. I saw that tweet recently too. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think he's probably um, um, right on this one. Uh, campaigning from behind a prison cell with an orange jumpsuit would be epic. It just would. Yes, yes, I know. It certainly would be. It certainly would be. <laughs> and he'd probably pick up support. Okay, moving on to probably what is the most serious story in the world right now. Well, I think anyway, because it involves yep. nukes, and that is uh, the current uh, situation in Ukraine. I'm fascinated, or have been, and I'm sure many of our listeners have been fascinated with the dogged support of Ukraine by the US establishment, even though it's clear everything is faltering. Ukraine's about to collapse as a country. Zelensky's obviously desperate now because he's flagging what people are calling a, a possible false flag with the Zaporozhye yes. nuclear power plant. And then that sets in motion, if anything happens there, the whole Article 5 yes. response of yes. NATO, it escalates it. You know, mm -hmm. World War Three people have been saying that and, and others have been saying, yeah, well, that's, you know, you're talking it up. But there's a very real possibility now that something could happen here. So what, what's yes, being said about this? Well, I mean, as you say, I mean, the, you know, the vast bulk of the establishment here is in favour of of, um, of the war. Um, well, I mean, they're generally in favour of any war, really, because it's kind of very profitable for for uh, for many elites in the in the US establishment, and of course, the talking heads in the you know vast array of think tanks here gives them something to talk about, uh, get on the news, etc. It helps their careers. Um, so yes, the the support continues, but as you suggest, I think it's 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 looking increasingly embarrassing that the US has thrown all this money at this war. And, you know, certainly Ukraine hasn't won. I mean, God, you've got to feel so sorry for the country. I mean, it's lost about 10 million people. Uh, hundreds of thousands have been killed. Uh, you know, maybe millions have had to move. Um, and their infrastructure has been completely destroyed. And yet people still say Ukraine's winning. I mean, the bloody thing's been completely destroyed. Um, so it's a tragedy. It's an extraordinary tragedy. And we just saw overnight another, you know, Russia, you know, hit some buildings in Lviv, which is in the far west of the country, you know, killed some people. I mean, again, just you know, the war is tragic and, and we should be trying to end it. <clears throat> but it seems like Britain and America and they're the, well, Britain actually especially is the most, is the most belligerent in all this. It's the most warlike of all of it. Even though they're not, they're not throwing as much money as the US. But well, they don't even have a military. Apparently, their <laughs> army doesn't won't even fill out a sports the, uh, stadium now. So, what are they on about? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I think the US is more sensible than Britain. I think there are some sane people here who are probably quietly saying, you know, we need to somehow sort this out. There needs to be some sort of. Uh, well, some sort of, you know, I mean, I think there's going to be a partition of Ukraine. That's probably what's going to happen. I mean, that's what. Like, that seems to be the reality of the situation. I mean, do you really think Russia's just going to leave? I mean, how absurd. I mean, so many people keep saying, oh, there won't be peace till Russia leaves. Well, therefore, there won't be peace ever. Um, and I, I saw, you know, the, the Ukrainian president just said there won't be an election until the war's over. Well, 
no, sorry, he said more than that. He said there won't be an election until Russia's out of Crimea. So basically, Ukraine is now a dictatorship forever. I mean, that's, yeah. that's aren't the they fighting for democracy right? though? Mm-hmm. Adam, isn't well, I know it? we're meant to be fighting for democracy, and now Ukraine's a dictatorship. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's just completely absurd the whole situation. Um, <clears throat> you know, you can say, oh, you can't run a election in a war, but I mean, I don't think that's true. I'm sure there's plenty of cases where there's been elections um, uh, during wars. Um, <clears throat> so, so anyway. Um, but just back to the NATO meeting and the power plant, I mean, I think this is the next couple of weeks. I mean, I am, you know, personally very scared about the whole situation. I um, I think about it a lot because, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want World War III. It would be an absolute disaster. You know, even if the chance is 4%, 3%, that's too high, <laughs> far too high for my liking because millions, tens of millions of people could die ultimately <clears throat> and it could destroy the planet. Um, and... You know, and, do, and remember, your do we country. Do want to do that over the borders of Ukraine? No, I mean, at least I don't. I have no interest. I just don't think it's. You know, I don't want to sound callous, but I, I don't think who administers the Donbass is whether it's Kiev or Moscow. You know, which set of bureaucrats do you want, Kiev or Moscow? Well, they're probably about as efficient as one another. Um, I, you know, maybe that that seems. You know, not, I'm sure Ukrainians would hate me from saying that, but but then again, do Ukrainians like their sons being forced into trucks and killed on the war? I mean, I just that's. You know, the internet is filled with these horrible clips. I've seen some. Of, 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 have you seen some? Yeah, press gangs going around and basically. Yeah, yes, I'm going around and then we hear in the mainstream media how popular the war is. I mean, you're kidding? I mean, that's that's got to be propaganda to me. And, you know, like I think of my, I just think of myself, what would I be like if I was living there? Would I want to go and, you know, get blown up over? Well, apparently it's four hours at the front, four hours I mean, um, life expectancy I mean, at the front. You know, uh, it's, uh, I find it very hard to believe that, that there's huge popularity for this war, which is what into it's, you know, like we 18 months yet, we're, we're almost there. Yeah. Um, I you know, I find that very hard to believe. I mean, people are indiscriminately being killed. I mean, they, they must want an end to it. And yet, you know, the US, Ukraine, and, you know, I say Ukrainian government, not, not the Ukrainian people, um, and, uh, you know, and Britain are pushing for it massively um, to continue. I, you know, you could argue it's, you know, it's immoral to do that, uh, actually. Uh, but that's well, not a view that's expressed in the mainstream press at all, basically. It's just, yep, more weapons, more war, go for it. <laughs> you know, fighting and more freedom, and more dead all people. This, all this more... propaganda. Um, it's it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, that's right. More dead people. I mean, look, we don't know what the casualties are on either side. And you know, as you know, first casualty in war is truth, and there's massive exaggeration and lying on both sides. Uh, so who knows? But I mean, just when you consider the weaponry being used, right? And the power of these bombs, it must be shocking. It must be horrific. And, yeah. and of course, the, the fact there are press gangs, uh, you well, know, shows you, tells Ukrainian you something. Youth in, in, in trucks, that, that suggests you something about the size of the army. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and there was a moment of uh, peace that uh, Boris Johnson spiked, yes. it seems. So well, that didn't, seems, didn't need to get to this. And I know, like, there was a South African delegation in Moscow recently, and, you know, Putin pulled out a draft treaty, which I don't think the world knew about, but he decided to reveal it and said, well, this was basically agreed. And then it was cancelled at the last minute. Um, You know, I don't think... Didn't Zelensky run on peace? (laughs) Well, I think so. I think so. It's uh, It's crazy, man. It's very sad. So the power plant, yes. Well, I mean, there's all this, you know, you... Ukraine releases press statements every day saying that Russia's about to blow up this 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 power plant. But I mean, you know, in the same way, I never believed that they blew up the Nord Stream pipeline because it just made absolutely no sense, like zero sense. 
for Russia to do that. And yet, of course, there was the usual hysterical propaganda in the West about, oh, Russia's evil, it blew up its own pipeline, it just does things like that. When that was nonsense. And now even the US has admitted it was nonsense. But for the same reason, why would Russia blow up a power plant on territory it, it controls, which presumably it needs in the future, <clears throat> it would be a disaster uh, for it. I mean, it would not help Russia by blowing it up at all. So why would they blow it up? I mean, that just makes no sense. But but I think who would benefit if, if the power plant were blown up? Is uh, the uh, war lobby would definitely benefit because it would it would it would seek to to drag other countries into the war. Um, so you know, and I think because there's this summit in on the 11th on my birthday actually next week <laughs> there's oh. this NATO summit, and um, you know I think Ukraine now sees this as a as a very important time next week to try to get NATO in the war more, and so if if you were going to do something, you'd do it soon, right? Um, yeah. So I just think the next week is very dangerous and it's very stressful. I just, I just hope that <laughs> that, that that power station is very, very well protected. Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm no science. I wouldn't have a, wouldn't have a clue about it. If I took it. I don't know if it means that if you if you blow up, you know, I don't know which which parts of it need to be blown up to cause a nuclear catastrophe. Uh, but that would be just unbelievably bad. Um, so anyway, let's all cross our fingers and hope that that does not happen in the next few days. And let us not forget that um, your country and our country are all in on the Ukrainian side. So yes, so look, things I mean, cut I up rough. <laughs> yeah, look, I understand. You know, I mean, obviously, you got to feel great sympathy. I think uh, you know what Russia's done is is terrible, uh, but I think the whole thing could have been handled much better. I mean, I think I think pushing for Ukraine to join NATO was a big mistake. Um, Russia, and not just Putin, all Russian leaders have been saying for, you know, 20 years, don't do that. It's fundamental to us that we do not have US weapons in Ukraine, which, of course, used to be, you know, part of the Russian empire for centuries. I mean, imagine if China had nuclear weapons in Mexico or even in Canada or, I mean, the US wouldn't tolerate that for a second, you know. I mean, they would, they would absolutely not tolerate it. And they certainly couldn't give a stuff about what the voters thought in those countries. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so, um, so I, you know, I just think we've got to be realistic in foreign policy. States have interests. Big states have have interests. And you can't ignore them, you know. You can't ignore them. You've got to, you have to try to accommodate them to some extent. That's a very old-fashioned view of foreign relations, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's the realistic one, you know. It's the realistic yeah. one. Well, I hope it all turns out all right on your birthday. <laughs> yes, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Nice to chat again, Adam Crichton. Yeah, likewise, Paul. Thank you. And we'll catch up again maybe in a month or so and um, and chat again. Indeed. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.